Welcome to Advance Your Art. If you are interested in making money from your art, using your artistic background to your advantage when switching careers, or if you are just plain stuck, you've come to the right place. Now let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yuri Cataldo. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. If you're interested in learning how to build a company, make money from your art, or if you're just feeling stuck about what to do next, you've come to the right place. Every week I sit down with a creative entrepreneur to discuss the who, what, and why of their journey. If you like this episode, please remember to like, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Today, I'm sitting down with Carla Stickler, a professional multi-hyphenate advocating for the inclusion of artists in STEM. Carla, hello. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. Hi. Thank you for having me. Of course, it is. It's an absolute pleasure um, and a treat. I love chatting with actors turned coders. And so this is going to be uh, incredibly exciting for me, especially. So thank you. Awesome. For the listeners who are less familiar with your work, how do you describe yourself and what you do? Oh, goodness. So many things. Uh, let's see. Well, okay. So you nailed it with multi-hyphenate. Mm-hmm. I, I do have a lot of hyphens attached to my titles. Perfect. Um, I was an actor for a very long time. I guess, I guess once an actor, always an actor. So I'm probably still an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I could always be an actor whenever someone needs me to be an actor. Um, so I did that for gosh, almost my whole life up until maybe a couple of years ago. Um, and then I was also an educator. So I have a master's degree um, from NYU in theater education. So I taught for a long time in New York on a couple college faculties. Um, I ran my own voice studio and taught private voice. And now I am a software engineer. Now I, I've done a crazy pivot and that is what I do. I am mm-hmm. a full-time software engineer. It's, it's bananas to say, because I still have trouble believing it. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, well, I want to get into all of those, but let's, we're going to take a big step back and start from the beginning. Great. Acting. What initially made you want to be an actor? Oh, goodness. Um, I don't know if I wanted to be an actor as much as I just was kind of like in it. Like I, my, my whole family were artists and musicians mm, okay. and my mother is a classically trained uh, pianist. She's like a child prodigy, incredible concert pianist. Um, my grandmother was an opera singer and she sang at the Lyric in Chicago. And um, my grandfather was a was a violinist and I'm related to Jean Krupa, the drummer. And I just couldn't really get away from the arts. And so having a mother who was obsessed with uh, Stephen Sondheim mm-hmm. also, uh, I grew up just listening to Stephen Sondheim and Mandy Patinkin and just like nothing but musical theater. Uh, and so from a very early age, I started doing musicals. Um, and I, the, like the first show I ever did, I was like nine and we did Peter Pan in my hometown and I played John and I got to fly. I had very short hair. I was really <laughs> awkward. Like, I look, I was a really cute little boy. Um, and I got to play John and I got to fly. And I remember that moment of just like flying, like being a nine-year-old and getting to fly and being like, this is the coolest thing ever. I think I have to do this. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I, I think I spent a long time battling with 
I think a lot of people battle with who kind of grew up in the arts. Um, do I love this or do I just do this because I've always done this? So I, I struggle. I've, I've struggled with that question my whole life. Um, even at an early my, age, you struggled that like even, as a nine year old, you were okay. High school. Okay. No, no, not, not, <laughs> not like when I was nine, but like once I got into high school, I struggled a lot with like, do I love this thing? Cause like, mm -hmm. I, I, I also loved like, I was a ceramic artist and so I did mm -hmm. pottery and I went to like a performing arts high school and I was a double major and I, I was a voice major and a potter and I also did acting classes and I was like never sure where I was supposed to be like who I was supposed to be. Um, and I was like I know I'm an artist but I don't know what I'm supposed which one I'm supposed to do and um, and I was always kind of pushed in the direction of theater and music because I was mm -hmm. good. I was innately good at it, right? It was like, I was being told by everyone in my life, you're good at this thing, you should do this. So I was like, okay, so I did it. Um, I don't know if I, I love, I don't know if I loved everything about it. I love performing, um, but it was, there was a lot of pressure attached to it. Yeah, I, very, I, really. I can imagine coming from a, like a family like that, that's that talented and accomplished. Okay, uh -huh. so, so you went, so actually before we go further than that, I, so I went to a public high school, so I don't understand how other high schools work, mm -hmm. um, just because I went to the high school <laughs> that was closest to my house in yeah. Northern Indiana. So, so you chose to go to performing arts high school, did you have to audition? How does that work? Yeah, so I actually went to public high school all the way up until my senior year of high school. Oh. So I, I did the public high school thing. Um, and for anyone who's listening to this from Oak Park, I'm sorry but we just did not have a good theater program. And the woman who ran the program hated me and nobody, like I, they didn't cast me in anything. And I was like really struggling um, to kind of find like, how is I gonna be a theater artist if I can't do theater? Um, and I would go to Interlochen Arts Camp every okay. summer. Um, you're from the Midwest, you know, Interlochen. Yeah, very, you know, it's like Interlochen or Blue Lake and I was an Interlochen kid. So I went there every summer for like all of high school. And then my, the summer before my junior year, I had a, like a moment where I was like, I cannot go back to my public high school because I am not getting what I need from the art program there. They won't let me do any theater. I had my junior year, I had won the concerto competition and I got to sing with the orchestra. <laughs> Um, and I remember the woman who ran the program, the theater program had nothing to do with those auditions and was like very kind of like bitter and upset that I like won this thing and got to do this. And I was like, I really don't think I want to be there anymore. So I like, without telling my parents, I applied for the Academy, which is the Interlochen okay. high school while I was there that summer. So I like auditioned. I didn't tell them I was doing it. And then I called them when I got in, I was like, Hey, <laughs> I got in. Um, please don't tell me I can't go. <laughs> help me figure out how we can pay for this because I really don't want to go back to my mm -hmm. public high school um so yeah it was a very uh I you know I I, I probably could have should have told them I was going to do it but I put them in, a, in a, a nice little spot where they had no choice but just let me do it <laughs> uh, I think that's probably a better way to do that anyway yeah. um for somebody's how do you hand exactly like, you already like got in artists <laughs> exactly your artist I already got in it's exclusive so they want me yeah so you have to help me pay for it it is that's the law love yeah, it that's the law <laughs> okay so 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 you finished high school then nyu why did you want to go to nyu and did you apply for other places or was nyu like yeah. the school you wanted to go to 
No, I did not even apply to NYU for my senior year. So I actually, my, I was a voice major at Interlochen and I was studying opera. I wanted Mm -hmm. to be like my grandma. I wanted to be an opera singer. I used to be a coloratura soprano. I had a very high, crazy Mm -hmm. voice. And I actually applied to all of like the top conservatories. Like I applied to like Manhattan School of Music, Manus and Eastman and Boston, uh, uh, New England Conservatory and Cincinnati Conservatory. I applied to like all like the top, like, programs and I got into a bunch of them but I did not get into like my top pick because I had I like didn't get any sleep the night before my Manhattan School of Music audition and so I blew my audition because it was like 9 a.m so upset I got into like New England Conservatory and I got into Cincinnati and I ended up going to Cincinnati for a year because somehow my mom convinced me that it was closer to home and it was a better program and I was like fine so I went to Cincinnati Um, and I studied opera for a year and I while I was at Cincinnati, I was having some vocal problems and my voice teacher ended up sending me to New York to get scoped by a ENT who works with like opera singers. And I had a cyst on my vocal cords. Mm. I had to have it removed. And then I just melted. I just kind of panicked because I was like, okay, if I can't be an opera singer, because this is the thing I decided, right? I was like, I don't know what kind of artist I want to be. And I decided right. I was like, I'm going to be an opera singer. That's my art. I'm going to be the fiercest opera singer that ever lived. And all of a sudden I had this doctor telling me, you know, I probably wasn't going to be able to be a coloratura. Like I probably wouldn't be able to sustain a full length opera with the state of my vocal folds. Hmm. Um, And I just like deteriorated and I dropped out of Cincinnati after my freshman year and I moved home to Chicago and I worked at a deli and I sliced meat um, and I made subs and I got really into, um, prosciutto, like mm. the parma, like the, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I did that for a semester and I was like, what am I going to do with my life? And at the time my high school boyfriend went to NYU and this is awful, but I was like, I'll go to NYU because <laughs> he's there. <laughs> and I, I literally applied for two schools, NYU and Fordham. And Fordham didn't accept me as an acting major. They accepted me as like a general studies major and NYU accepted me into Tisch. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to Tisch. <laughs> so I, I, I went to Tisch. I like transferred halfway through the year, my sophomore year. And um, I was not a good student. I like didn't do any, I was like just a hot mess, right? Like I was like, okay, I'm going to be an actor because I can't sing anymore. So I'm going to I'm gonna, I like studied the method. I like studied the Lee Strasberg Institute and I cried every day. And I was just like a hot mess. And I didn't do any theater while I was there. I literally didn't do a single play while I was at NYU. I got into an acapella group and I sang acapella and I learned how to sing pop music. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, but I didn't really know how to, I was still like kind of terrified to take singing seriously. So I was like singing kind of like fluffy pop music. Um, and then my, before my senior year of high school or college rather, um, I had to, cause I transferred. So I took the semester off. So I had to like do summer school to catch up so I could graduate on time. Mm-hmm. And the only program that they had at the NYU had in the summer that I could take was their musical theater program. Mm. Really didn't want to do it. Um, but I was like, I got to graduate. So I did this program and I remember like day one of one of my classes, I was singing something and, and I just kind of like broke down crying at the end of it. Cause I was like, I, singing was like, I have so much trauma attached to singing. Um, and my teacher was like, why aren't you doing musical theater? You're really good at this. And I was like, 
I don't know what I'm doing with my life. <laughs> um, and so from that point on, I was just like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do musical theater. And I got this really great voice teacher who like taught me how to sing, like re-taught me how to sing, like, mm -hmm. and allowed me to feel all the things that I was feeling. And I literally cried through like all my voice lessons. And it was just, it was such a, a process of having to relearn how to do something um, in a very different way. And in a way that like nobody had ever really told me I was good at, like I learned how to belt, which was like not a thing that I was ever around growing up because I was around like opera and I was around like this kind of classical musical theater style of music. And so belting was like not a thing. Right. And I looked very down on belting. And so when I learned, I remember though the first time in my lesson when I got, when I belted, like, and it, and it was like tension free. It was like the sound just like poured out of me. And I just like broke down. I cried a lot when I was younger. I broke down in my lesson. I was like, oh my God, singing can feel like nothing. And it was just like the most overwhelming experience. And I was like, okay, I'm sold. I will do this thing. Um, and so I, I was like musical theater. I'm a musical theater girl. Now that's mm -hmm. me. That's what I do. And I just kind of dove headfirst into musical theater. Wonderful. Okay. So you're, okay, a so, lot. <laughs> yeah, this is great. Um, so you're, you've, so you've graduated, you're in New York. Mm -hmm. So in my mind, the obvious place to go is to start auditioning for Broadway, but I want to hear from, I'd like to hear from you. What was that journey like at post graduation? And did, did NYU prepare you for a career in, in musical theater or theater other than teaching you the, the techniques or what was that like? there no I didn't do any theater when I was at NYU I literally right. did no plays <laughs> I didn't do anything that prepared me for anything um, okay <laughs> I I I was like I am the kind of person where I make up my mind that I'm going to do something and then I do it mm -hmm. um and I and I don't I I don't tend to take a lot of time to get there I'm like I will cram this thing until I, I I'm very good. I'm, I definitely have undiagnosed ADHD, like hands down. Like I am so good at working under pressure to learn something very fast, but like, give me time to do it. It will never happen. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I just like, I went after, after I had that moment and where I was like, I'm going to do musical theater. I like got a voice teacher who was not at NYU. And I studied with him on the side and like, some friends of mine were like, we haven't done any shows. We should do a show. So we like rented out a space in New York and we put on songs for a new world by Jason Robert Brown. We're like, great. And we like, we like held our own auditions and we like brought in actors and we had a little fundraising party at my apartment to get money to do it. And we were like, all right, this is what we're doing. Um, and so I did the one show, but I didn't right. do it at NYU. I kind of did it on my own. And then um, I auditioned for NYU's musical theater showcase. Um, and it was like the all school musical theater showcase because each studio kind of had their own. Um, and for anybody who doesn't know what showcase is, a showcase is like where you go and you basically, um, you put together a show with a bunch of other actors in your class. And then it's for like agents and casting directors and managers and whatnot, right? And like the goal is to like get an agent, get representation. And I auditioned for the all school one and was one of like, I think I might have been the only non-musical theater major to get into it. Everybody mm -hmm. else was from like Cap 21, which is like musical theater program. And I was like, well, I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> I like don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> um, and it was great. And I got my agent out of it. And then I just, I was really fortunate. I worked. I mean, I, I went 
right after college, I went to eight to China and I did the sound of music Asia tour for like four or five months. And then, um, I had a year where I did not work. And that was actually the year that I was like, I got to learn how to do musical theater. I don't really know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I took some classes, um, like audition technique classes and like, you know, just like how to like, how to fit into the mold of musical theater class basically is what it was. Cause I, I'm a little edgy. I was always a little bit like defiant. And when I was younger, I had a little bit of an attitude because I was a mess. I was a hot mess of a human. Um, and so I was just like kind of on this quest to figure out how to just fit into the musical theater mold and figure out how, what I was in it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, cause I had this crazy belt, but I, I didn't, I'm like short and I, I'm kind of edgy, but I, I, I could fit into kind of different roles. And so nobody ever really knew where to put me. So I was trying to like figure out my type, if you mm-hmm. will, right. My quote unquote type. Um, so I spent a year doing that. And then I booked Mama Mia and I went on tour for like a year and a half, um, got married, got divorced, booked Wicked. And then I was on Wicked for literally, I just did Wicked for like five and a half years straight, got super burnt out, um, quit, went to grad school to teach, went back to Wicked a million times in and out, went on a cruise ship and did my own show. And then just so burnt out, just like burnt out of like hustling for all of these things. I was like, I am done mm-hmm. with all of this. I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Okay. So before we get into that next step, which I really want to hear, um, I want to back up a little bit agent. So what was it like working with an agent? Um, yeah. And did the agent actually book work for you? Did you book work? And then basically the agent kind of did the back end work. What is it? Because that's like the, it's kind of funny. Um, cause we have kind of parallel careers, although I never mm-hmm. got an agent, but that was when I, when I was in, in theater, arts school that was the thing I was told to as a designer was you'll get an agent and your agent will then find you things and and do the paperwork for you I I never got that um so (laughs) it's the the elusive dream that never happened what is it actually like in reality to have an agent so I can only speak for what I my experience with my agent um I I do know other people did not have experiences like this but I my agent oh i don't even know how to say this um they're never gonna listen to this so it doesn't really matter but (laughs) maybe i don't know maybe they will but not that popular it's okay (laughs) you know i i was very fortunate i was very happy to have an agent but i remember um they got me that sound of music audition Mm -hmm. it was like one of like maybe two or three auditions they got me because i was right hot out of my senior showcase and I booked it. And then I came back and I didn't write, I said, work for a year. My agent flat out told me like, cause I was non-union. They were like, we need you oh. to go take some classes and meet casting directors. And you're going to go to, go to open calls. And I was like, I have an agent. Why do I need to go to open calls? Why do I need to go and wait all day? And, and so my agent was a little bit lazy and, mm. um, I had to do a lot of work on my own. And then uh, they did get me the Mamma Mia audition. So I did book that through them. 
And then I just remember being out on tour and like my friends flying back and forth to New York for auditions for other things and then booking stuff and leaving the tour to go be on Broadway. And, and I, I would be like, hey, I would do that. Y'all like get, I would fly back to New York. You know, if anything comes up that you think I would be great for, please get me an audition. I will fly. I will spend the money for a day to go to New York and do that. And they just like never like, I just didn't have that kind of experience with my agent. And it was always like that. And then like I switched over, they they switched to a new agency and then I had new agents at the same, it was like all the same thing. It was all mm -hmm. such crap. It was like, I always felt like I was doing everything on my own. Like as soon as I booked Wicked, I felt like they forgot that I existed. Um, and, and it was just, it was just, it was frustrating. And then I would get, once I would get auditions, I would get very far in the process of the auditions, mm -hmm. but I was always so exhausted because I was doing so much work to get like all these auditions. I was constantly sending them emails being like, Hey, I noticed that something so-and-so is like looking for an understudy. I would be great for this. Like, I don't know why I had to be the one doing that work for them, but I was constantly like, I was like paying to get the breakdowns every day. So I could scour through them and send my agents an email every day of what I thought I was right for. Like I have no TV film career because as much as I asked them to push me for that stuff, I never got auditions for that stuff. Hmm. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I know from like what I've heard from my other friends that like they had much different experiences having an agent, but my, I never had a good experience with an agent ever. <laughs> they were nice people. They were not, not nice people. I think they were right. like overwhelmed. They have too many clients and like having somebody in the ensemble of Broadway show was like enough. <laughs> there was never like any need to like, want to help me move like my career in another direction. I probably mm -hmm. needed a manager, but Again, how do you find a manager? I don't know. Right. <laughs> I I don't know either on that one. Okay. Um, so also before we move on, I want to hear about your experience on on Broadway. So you were on Wicked for 12 years. What what was that okay. like? So yeah. we have to remove the two years of the pandemic, but I okay, keep, sure. I just kind of keep it through that. Like um, so I was not, I was I was with the show from 2010 to 2015, like straight through. Okay. And then after that every year, a few times a year, I would go in and I would cover vacations and I would cover injuries and whatever else, um, and emergencies. And I did a lot of precedents for them throughout all of that. And then the pandemic hit, I didn't work for them for the pandemic. And then I randomly went back in January of this year. Um, so that's why I have, that's why I keep it as 12 years because not a year has gone by where I did not work for the company. I did a press event for them in February of 2020. Mm -hmm. And then I was back in the company December rehearsing at the very end of 2021 and into 2022. It's super oh. strange. So yeah, 12 years, but it still counts. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, I don't know. You said, what was it like? It was, it was like a dream come true. Right. I mean, I, I loved, I loved, I love the role of Elphaba. Elphaba is like, a dream role as, as a belter, as an actor, right? She is, she's strong and defiant and she's a badass, right? She's just like, um, her journey is incredible. So you get to play her was pretty awesome. Um, the, the business of Broadway mm -hmm. is exhausting though, right? Like doing eight shows a week, nonstop for that many years, um, being an understudy for that many years, also 
really, really exhausting. Because um, you never, when you understudy a role like Alphaba, you never know when you're going to play the role. So you kind of have this thing where you have to live your life as if you may play it mm-hmm. any, at any point, because you just never know. And so that really burnt me out um, because I was the kind of person where the way my luck worked, anytime I would enjoy my life, do anything that would like kind of, maybe I wouldn't sleep great that night because I was out with some friends, I would have to play the role the next day. So I just stopped. I stopped having a life because I was so terrified that I was gonna not be able to do the show if I had to do the show the next day. Mm -hmm. So especially during that five and a half year stint, that was the hardest part. When I would go back and cover vacations, it was actually a lot easier and way better. And I had a great time. Um, cause I generally never had to play Elphaba. So I was always just like in the ensemble. Like I, I like, there was always a possibility that I get to play Elphaba, but I never did. So it, it was just like, oh, I'm just covering the ensemble for two weeks. That's mm-hmm. fun. Swoop in, swoop out, go about my day. Yeah. It was great. <laughs> so on that though, so understudying for Elphaba, are you, so how, I guess, do you have to go into the theater every single day just in case in the moment? How soon would you know that you would be the understudy that night? And what was that? Like, was there, like, because you were the understudy, did you already have separate costumes set up for you? Or did they alter them as you walked into the theater and pin them behind you? Or (laughs) what was that? Give me me more on the process of like what what it's like to be understudy. So with the way that Wicked works is we have an understudy and we have a standby. So I I have done both roles. When I was on the tour, I was a standby in the New York company. I was the understudy. Um, And the way that Broadway shows work is everybody has their own set of costumes. So I always have my own set of costumes. Nobody else in the theater is wearing mine. I'm not wearing anybody else's. Um, That way it's easier if, you know, we have like a mid-show alphabet swap out, my costumes are ready to go. um, And I can just throw those on. Um, When you're the understudy though, you are in the ensemble. So I was in the New York company, at least I was in the ensemble eight shows a week doing the show. Our standby is not in the show every night. So they just kind of have their own dressing room, they hang out, and then they get to leave right after intermission is over. Um, as long as Alphabet hasn't gone down. Gotcha. Okay. So, um, because we do have a lot, that show tends to have a lot of mid-show swap outs with Alphabet, like intermission swap outs, where Alphabet's like, I can't do a second act. Uh, so, in those cases though, we can get green pretty fast. And because we have our own set of costumes, um, the whole thing is the alphabet standby can leave after intermission is over because the understudy, it'll be actually faster to get the understudy into a wig and on stage if anything happens mid, mid act in act two, because we're already wig capped. Whereas sure. like the standby, it, at that point, it, make, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't matter if she can go home. Um, so, yeah, you usually know when did I mean I would I would I would find out a half hour sometimes, you know. Okay. I would find out, I would go on, I've been on mid-show, you know, like I've I've known days in advance. Um, you know, I it's one of those things where you never really know until it happens too. Cause I've had girls be like, I'm gonna be out, and you plan around it and then they end up not taking the day off. So it you never know. It's there's no it's hard to plan your life around when you might be or might not be on. <laughs> okay, thank you. That's 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 very yeah. helpful. Okay, so um, so I want to talk about them 
you, and you mentioned this already. So the moment that you were so burnt out that you're like, I can't do this anymore. What, what was that like? And then what did you decide to do after that moment? Yeah, I, you know, it was like a slow burn. Um, it was, it was like a series of injuries after injuries. Um, I got really sick. I found out I had like a thyroid disease and I was like exhausted all the time. And I was just like calling out of the show all the time. And I had really that headache that lasted for like months. And, um, my body was just like kind of deteriorating. Mm. Uh, and I was just, a, I was just like a mess. Um, I was not a happy person. Um, and I was, I was very desperate to find some way to get out of the show, but like, as any actor knows, when you audition and you are desperate, you do not book work. So no matter how much I tried to audition for things and I would get called back for things, but I just was so, I was, I feel like I reeked of desperation. I just like wanted to leave the show so bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of had a moment where I was like, nothing is going to give me a reason to leave except for myself. Like I have to, I have to create a reason for myself to leave or else I'm going to be here forever. And I'm going to be miserable forever. And I can't do that because I'm just falling apart. Um, and so I like started looking at grad school. Cause I had, this, I was like, you know, what is a thing that people will understand? You know, I've spent my whole career in the arts. How can I leave the show without feeling like a failure? Because, you know, the thing about Broadway is when people see you on Broadway, right? They, they imagine their dreams of Broadway and they don't understand what the reality of it is. And so they don't understand why anybody would want to leave it. Right. You know, they see the glamour and the, you know, whatever, and they don't understand that it is really hard to eight shows a week nonstop for that long. Um, you know, you miss a lot of life events family events and you know you don't have much of a social life or at least I didn't and I was just like I gotta I gotta go uh so I was like I don't want to feel like a failure so how can I do that um and I had been doing some work with the educational theater association working with like the thespian um society festivals and stuff and so I was doing a lot of teaching and I was like you know I like teaching that that feels like a really honorable move Mm -hmm. in the arts right um and I, so I was like, all right, well, I'm going to, I'm going to leave to do that. So I, and it, and it gave me the feedback that I was hoping I would get. People were like, oh, wow, that's so good of you to want to go into education, to want to give back. And, and I felt that. And I, and I really wanted, um, I wanted to give back. I really wanted to inspire young kids. I felt like I got a lot out of that for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really, I really enjoyed that as my reason to leave. Um, I am not a teacher anymore because as much as I love teaching, I fell into the same problem, right? Like I, I gave a lot to it and to my students and I, and I carry a lot of their energy and I carry a lot of their feelings when I teach. And that's really hard for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm such an, I I absorb so much and I want them all to be wonderful and I want them to succeed. And I, and I see how brutal the business is. And I would start to like, I would start to be sad for their future selves. (laughs) You know, I'd be like, you, you are so wonderful and you're so young and you're so excited about this business. And this business is just going to like ruin you. And, and that like made me really sad. I was Mm -hmm. like, how can I, 
encourage kids to go into this in a way that is healthy. Cause I was like teaching at a musical theater program doesn't feel inspiring to me. Cause I don't, I want to teach these kids other things, you know, like before we started recording, you and I were talking about how do we teach kids to like, especially college kids, right? How do we teach them to be entrepreneurs? How do we teach them to treat themselves like a business and to know how to take care of themselves so that when the business does beat them down, they have something wonderful that can raise them up, you know, mm-hmm. that is that is supporting them and that has given them an income and they they know how to be flexible and they know how to adjust and move and and they don't they don't panic when when it doesn't work out. Because when they go to college, you know, we tell them that it's going to work out, right? Because you've dedicated all of this time and you've given up everything in your life to do the, do theater. And so because you're going to do this art, you, you will be successful. And then, and so we tell them that and they do that and then they, they struggle and then it doesn't work out the way that everyone told them it was going to work out. And then they're sad and they feel like failures and, and they carry that with them and they don't know how to adjust. And then they carry that through everything else they do. They move into other careers and they feel like they're failed performers or actors or artists. And it's, and it breaks my heart. Um, I have a lot of people reach out to me a lot who, who tell me that the right, they're like, I was an artist and now I work in tech or I work in marketing or whatever. And I, I just didn't make it. I feel I, you know, and, and I'm like, you shouldn't have to feel like that. You shouldn't have to feel like you failed at mm-hmm. being an artist because it didn't work out the way that we told you it was good. Like we, we lied to you. We are lying to generations of children telling them that like, if they, if they ignore everything else in their lives and follow this one path, it's going to work out. And so we, we set them up to fail. Um, and so teaching was really hard. Cause I was like, I am setting my children up to fail. I'm setting these wonderful, beautiful, genuine, kind, empathetic people up to just feel awful and fail. And that really was hard. And so I was like, I can't teach anymore. I don't know. And I just, I didn't know what else to do. Um, And I was just kind of searching for a thing. And then a friend of mine showed up my birthday and was like, Hey, I'm a software engineer now. Guess what? I work at Forbes and it's great. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about because you were a songwriter like two days ago. Um, and I, I, it was like, I was waiting for somebody to like, give me an out mm-hmm. and tell me that a thing existed that I could do that had nothing to do with theater, but was creative, um, that could make me money that I could learn how to do. And I was like, great, I'm gonna go learn how to do that. And I lucked out cause I actually really enjoyed it. <laughs> um, yeah. Good. Long good. Ahead, but yeah. <laughs> no, this is, this is wonderful. Thank you on, on that. Um, yeah, it's, again, and you and I talked about this beforehand about just so much, so much of our journey is kind of overlapped on that, that sense of like, I remember having professors, and I wonder if it's like, again, it's, it's, it's something that kind of just like pushes up against the types of personalities they get in, involved in theater, but I did have professors, particularly in undergrad, tell me that if you could do something else, you should do it. And I saw that as more of like a calling card of like, oh, I'm going to be that person who will then strive past everyone else who's going to give up. And, and because I can do that, then we'll succeed. Uh, <laughs> I hate that narrative. We need yeah. to stop telling kids that because then we, we eliminate, we like squash their creativity. Mm-hmm. We stop allowing themselves to imagine other things that they can do with their life. And they like 
put blinders on and, and decide they can only do this one thing. And when that one thing doesn't work out, they now have no other options because we stopped allowing them to imagine other options. Mm-hmm. It's really unfair. Yeah. And so you, you've also, also brought this up too, but so the idea that, again, walking away from theater doesn't make you a failure. At what point did you believe that? And mm-hmm. I say that because, you know, you and I are about the same age. It, it wasn't until maybe a couple of years ago for me before I could say that out loud and believe it. Because there were years where I did, even though I started companies and they did well, I, f- I considered myself to be a failure and didn't want to talk to a lot of my theater friends because they were still doing something that I wish that I walked away from and felt like completely a failure on that side. So what, how was that like for you? Yeah, that's hard. I think, I think I still, and I will probably always battle with that. Um, but I, I think I was really fortunate that when I made my decision to go to a software engineering bootcamp, you know, it was, I went the summer of 2019. So Ooh, I was really lucky. It was right before the pandemic started. I, I remember I fired, I fired, I, I let go of my agents. I was feeling really empowered by this thing. I was like, wow. And I would tell, I would tell people in the industry that I was learning how to be a software engineer. And everybody was like, wow, that is so cool. And I would get the same response from everybody. I was like, you know what? That is really cool. And then I would have people be like, you're so brave. I could never do that. I'm like, no, I mean, you could do that. Like, yeah, if I can do that, you could, like anybody can do that. And I, I started feeling like getting this feedback from people being like, realizing that everybody kind of was feeling like, everybody in the arts feels a little bit like they want to get out of the arts, but they don't know how, right? Mm-hmm. And I would I would hear these, these things from everybody all the time. And I was like, okay, well, this feels good. I'm going to just dive into this. And, and I think like, I was always, I would, up until that point, I was constantly going back into Wicked. And I, and every time I'd go in, I would hope that, they would, they would make me an alphabet. All I ever wanted was to be a full-time alphabet. You know, like every girl who's ever understudied the role or every girl who's ever existed in musical theater. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be a full-time alphabet. And I remember the first time I went back during, while I was doing my boot camp in the summer of 2019, they asked me to come in and fill in for vacation for like three weeks. And I was in boot camp from nine to six every day. And then I would go to the theater and do the show at night and on the weekends. And I did it for three weeks wow. like that. And I had a moment where I was like, you know what? I'm a badass. Like, I look what I can do. I can, I can do this thing that's really hard during the day and I can go be on Broadway at night. And it was the first time where I was in the Broadway show where I didn't care if I played Alphaba or not, where I was like, oh, I don't need, I don't think I need Alphaba anymore. And I, and you know, I think there's, there was still a part of me that was kind of hanging on to that a little bit. Um, even, even up until recently, I mean, when I finally did start my job search, um, the pandemic started. And so there was no theater. There was nothing for me to miss. So I right. could like really dive 100% into my new career and not feel like I was missing out on anything. And that was great. Um, I don't want to say I was lucky, but I feel a little, I, I was grateful for that. No distractions. Yeah. And um, when Wicked called me back in to go in January, to kind of hop back into the show because everybody was sick with COVID. I, I, I almost didn't go. I was like, I really don't, I don't, the freedom that I got from being a software engineer 
allows me to say no to Wicket. And I never felt like I could say no to Wicket. Mm-hmm. I never felt like I could say no to that part of my life. I always felt like I had to say yes to anything, that, any opportunity that came up because as an artist, you know, you're hashtag grateful to be working. So I always felt like I had to say yes to everything. And at the first time I was like, I don't actually have to say yes to this. And, and so my decision to say yes, to go and do it was more rooted in like me realizing like, I love this thing and I'm doing it for kind of the Broadway of it, right? Like I, I, I see that Broadway is struggling and I want, I want this to continue to exist. And if I can go and I can help and I can be a part of that. Um, but there's also this little part of me that was like, well, maybe I'll get to play Alpha Bowl one last time. You don't care if you play it again, but maybe you will get to play it again. And, mm-hmm. and maybe you'll get like the closure that you've always needed or wanted or whatever. Um, and I, and I, I feel so fortunate that I got to do that because I did get the closure I needed. Like, I don't care if I ever go back to Wicked again, I got, I got to do the thing I hadn't gotten to do in like seven years. And I, I never knew when my last performance of Alphaba was. So it's like, I always kind of, it's like, ah, oh, I didn't get to really enjoy it. So to get to have that was really great. And I, it also reminded me that I am still an artist, even if I'm not arting, Mm -hmm. right? Even if I am not like all day, every day committing a hundred percent to my craft as an artist, it does not make me any less of an artist. Right. And I Mm -hmm. think for me getting to go and have that moment, um, so far removed from my full professional life as an artist. Um, I was like, oh, I can, I can still claim this and I'm going to, and I'm going to claim it and mm-hmm. I'm going to claim it until I die because I will always be an artist. And it, it was cool. Cause it, it really, it made me really like flip the script on what I thought failure was. Um, I really thought I was a failed artist cause I quit. And I was like, no, I I'm, I'm actually, always an artist. I'm not fail. Being a failed artist actually isn't even a thing. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't think you can ever be a failed artist. You either are an artist or you are not an artist. And some people are more successful and their things are, their art is viewed by more people, but it doesn't make you less of an artist. Um, so I, I, I I spent a lot of time thinking about that now because I, I think how is with that new narrative around what it means to be an artist, how can I continue to be an artist? in my life as a software engineer? How can I incorporate that without having to be a hundred percent committed artist? What can a, what can an artist look like who does it for themselves? You know, what is that? What does that even look like? I don't know. And I'm trying to figure it out, but it's, it's freeing. Cause I'm like, oh, I'm not, I didn't fail at anything. Mm-hmm. I made a really strong decision to pivot right. for my own mental health <laughs> and my own sanity. Um, but nothing is there's no failure in there yeah I, yeah I don't see it that way anymore I really like actively am trying to eliminate that as like the thing mm-hmm. that I did so talk to me now about your life as a software engineer mm-hmm. so what was it like in the boot in the boot camps and training was it like was it what you expected going into them and then post you know, boot camp. What's it like now, being a software engineer? Yeah, um, I going to a boot camp was like going to summer school, it was, or it was like going to like Interlochen. It was, it was just like Interlochen was a 
you were around like a lot of people who were super passionate about learning their art and their music. And suddenly, like I found myself in this like really intense three month program where everybody was really passionate about learning this new skill. And, and it was a very similar energy and I loved it and I thrive and that kind of stuff. Um, and I was so excited. Um, and also to kind of then go into that experience with all the other experiences I've had in my life to be like, I have found as the thing I love to do is I like to cheerlead other people. I really like encouraging other people to be their best selves. And I mean, that's, that's the teacher in me, right? Like I really love that. And so I would find, I would, I would fill that role in my boot camp. Like in my cohort, there were like 20 or 18 or 20 of us. And I wanted to be everybody's cheerleader. I wanted to help everybody. I want to make sure that everybody was like thriving. We were all like in it together. And it was, it was a team effort and we were all going to succeed and, and, changing our lives. Um, and it was really inspiring um, because it, it really felt like it was a real thing. Like it felt like this could, this could actively change all of our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and it was to, to go through that program with people who, you know, I was very fortunate. I had a really, I had a very successful career in the arts, but um, to, to see my friends who, you know, had worked they were working retail, they were working in fast food, they were, you know, they, they, they didn't really know what they wanted. And to see them get to have this opportunity to learn something that was really going to like change their life. You know, um, I was like, that is, that is cool that there is a thing that exists that can actively change people's lives. And I really think coding is one of those weird things like that, that if you can learn how to do it, if you can spend some time and like grind away at it, it can really change your life. Mm-hmm. So I was really inspired by that. I, then I taught for, I, I coached at Flatiron for a little while and I would coach kids through the program. Um, and then uh, I actually, my first job in tech was not as a software engineer because like I said, I started my career at the beginning of the pandemic and I could not get an interview anywhere. Um, I had some interviews with people who were like, I'm really sorry. I don't have a job to offer you. I just really wanted to talk to you because your story is so interesting. And I was like, cool. Great. They're like, we're just, we're not hiring software engineers right now because of the pandemic and we just, everybody's on a hiring freeze. I just really wanted to talk to you. And I was like, okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so I literally took the first job that I got an interview with. Um, and they offered me a job and I was like, great. I will. Mm-hmm. I was so as a success associate for a startup and I was like, great. I just want to work in tech, get me a tech job. Um, and it was stressful. Startups were stressful. Um, I, I had a good time because I learned a lot about how to work in tech and how to be in a different environment and how to, it is a very different world um, working in a nine to five, even, even if it's remote, it's just very different, very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had a good experience. I, I, you know, I learned a lot and then I, it, it allowed my husband and I to move to Chicago and buy a house and, and be people. And that was really all I wanted was like, I want to be a person with a life and friends and do things with other people. That's all I want. I want to be able to like go and have a class of like mezcal and like not worry about if I have to sing tomorrow. Um, so we moved to Chicago. And then as soon as we got here, I was like, I'm going to apply for some software engineering jobs. I'm feeling really inspired again. And I got a really great job at a company here in Chicago. And that's it. That's where I'm at. It's great. And I love it. I, I like, it's so, it's so creative. Like I, I am constantly just like sitting here thinking about how, how the best design is. Like, how do I design this? What's the best approach? How do I figure this out? And I love it. It's 
I wish, ugh, I wish somebody had told me how creative it was a million years ago. You know, I wish I had known. I wish I had learned this thing when I was on tour and I had nothing to do all day long. And I was just like sitting on my couch, binge watching, you know, top model or whatever. <laughs> like, I wish I could have learned to code then. <laughs> all the time I wasted. <laughs> Can you say more about the creativity in, in, in coding? Um, and I say this because oftentimes to the average person, when they think of coding, they just see lines of numbers and letters and it, it, does, it doesn't mean anything to them. It actually is intimidating to the average person to look at that, like looking at a, you know, a, a mathematical equation. So tell me more about creativity and coding. Yeah, I think, you know, it is. So I, I mentioned I do pottery. Um, and I, I've, I've thrown pottery since high school and I, I love it. There's the cool thing about pottery is you can sit down with a piece of clay and in a matter of minutes, hours through this process, you can build something beautiful, basically out of a lump of clay. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and code is the same. It is, it is just a lump of clay. And, and once you learn how to work with that code and you learn that language, you can build whatever you want out of it. And it is, it is creative in the same way. And it's, it's just about learning. It's just a different medium through which we work, right? It is just a different medium through which we choose to be creative and, and make things. And, and the internet, I think people take it for granted, but it's, it's beautiful. I mean, it's creative. Somebody had to design what that looks like, how that button works, how a person interacts with that page. Somebody had to design how we store that data. Maybe that doesn't sound exciting to you, but like the, the structure of data and like the structure of like how we, how we create our files and, and the organization of it, it's, I think it's really creative. It's really, and it takes, it takes creativity to build something that works and is, you know, as beautiful as the internet is. Mm -hmm. um, you can't just, you have crappy code if you don't care. If you're not a creative person and you just write stuff and you don't care aesthetically about what it's doing and how it works and how, it, how people interact with it, it's just gonna be crap. So, you know, you have to think that way. I think um, engineers are really creative people. They just, spend a lot more time in front of their computers than mm -hmm. out around other people. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I, so I'm curious, and you've gotten into this a little bit, just how you kind of think through times of stress, but I want to hear your thoughts on the idea of fear and how you approach times when you are fearful and either push past them or work through it or, or however else you describe what fear is to you? Mm. I, uh, oh, I kind of love, I love fear in the way that like, I thrive off of like, um, like I'm a very anxious person and I, I kind of thrive when I'm in that anxious state, which is not a healthy thing, but I, I do it very well and I'm very good at it. And so the, the adrenaline rush that I get out of, out of doing something that scares the crap out of me. Mm -hmm. Um, I have learned to like, kind of make that my superpower, right? Like I, you know, people, people would ask me a lot, like, do you get nervous before you perform? I'm like, I do, but I love that feeling. 
I love, I love that. Like, instead of, instead of fighting my nerves, I have learned how to like harness my nerves and to go with it and channel that energy into the thing that I'm going to do. And so I think I've, I've found a way to kind of recognize when something is really scary and, and go toward it instead of pull away from it. Because I, I, I've found that I've had more successes moving towards fear instead of away from it. And so when I can, when, when opportunities come up and I, and I'm kind of deciding like, do I want to do that thing? It kind of freaks me out. And I'm like, well, maybe that means I should do it. Um, because maybe there's like a really big lesson that I need to learn about myself if I move towards that. Um, so I, I try really hard to do that. It's hard because because I don't like being an anxious person, but I thrive in that feeling. And so it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a, a, I go back and forth on it a lot. You know, Mm -hmm. I I would love to live a life where I am just kind of settled and, and things are nice and easy, but things keep happening where I'm like, I gotta move towards that thing that this project just showed up and it sounds really scary, but it could be really awesome. So I got to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, It's hard. I, I would love to just be like a, a normal person who loves to be <laughs> not anxious, but <laughs> you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> so with everything that you have done and experienced, what would you say has been the best advice that you were ever given? Um, okay. So when I was in grad school, I don't remember what teacher mentioned this, but um, you know, there, there, my whole life, it was practice makes perfect, practice, practice makes perfect, right? And so in the arts, you're, you're constantly striving for perfection, perfection. And in one of my classes, we were talking about changing it to practice makes progress. Hmm. And, it, and I get, it's weird. I get like emotional talking about it because it just changed my entire worldview of how I view myself as an artist, right? Like, like God. 13, 14, 16 year old Carla needed to hear that, needed to hear that practice makes progress and not perfection. Because if I had spent my whole life not trying to be perfect, but trying to just get better and to grow and learn, I probably would have saved myself a lot of pain along the way. Um, because now, now I'm like, oh, life is a life is a series of lowercase f failures that that we grow from and we learn from and we we get better and we move through. And and, and it took me a long time to figure that out. I had to learn a lot of things the hard way. And I had to feel like a failure constantly and then reflect and be like, what did I learn from that failure? But if I, had, if I had realized that that was just part of the progression, that's just part of the process of learning, I probably would have beat myself up so much, mm-hmm. you know, along the way. Um, it would have been nice to have realized that like, oh, what, what did I learn from that and learned it sooner? <laughs> Um, and so I love that, you know, practice makes progress. That is, that is what we should strive for. Because also when you hit perfection, what else is there to learn? If you think you know everything, what, I mean, you, you stunt your growth. I think there's always something to learn. There's always somebody knows something that you don't. And if you go through your life thinking that you know everything because you're perfect, ugh, what, a, what an exhausting way to live. Um, so yeah, that I think is the best thing, the best definitely the best advice. Carla, thank you so much for chatting with me today. It's been absolutely phenomenal. Um, If the 
listeners would like to get a hold of you or follow your work online, where is the best place they can go to do that? Um, so my website, carlastickler.com, uh, first name, Carla with a C, uh, stickler like the word, uh, .com, uh, has, has links to all my social media. Um, I'm mostly active on Instagram um, and occasionally, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. So uh, I'm always happy to connect with people on LinkedIn. Just send me a message. <laughs> don't just, I, I will probably not accept it if you don't send me a message. Um, but I'm, I, I love, I love to, to meet people and hear their stories and, um, talk to them about, you know, their own personal journeys from the arts into other fields. So if people want to reach out, they can shoot me an email on my website or wherever else. And I'm, I love that stuff. So throw them at me. Fantastic. I will put all of those links in the show notes. So the listeners can click right through. Awesome. But again, thank you so much, Carla. This was phenomenal. Thank you, Yuri. Thank you for listening to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. If you like this episode, please remember to give us a five-star rating, like, and share with a friend. Our theme music is written and mixed by Chicago-based composer Ryan Black of Blackbones Collaborative. To listen to the full catalog of our episodes, go to advanceyourart.com. To see what I'm working on or book a time with me or buy a copy of my book, Be Left Behind, go to yuricataldo.com. Thank you so much and have a great day.